Hello and welcome to the First Baptist Church of LaGrange. What an honor it is to have you listening to our church broadcast today. We hope that as you listen along, following in your Bible, that you experience the grace and presence of Christ just as strongly as we do every Sunday in our worship service. May God truly bless you as you listen. Hey, First Baptist. So glad that you're here with us today. Hey, last week was super disappointing and it was very difficult for us to cancel our services, but I just so hope and pray that you can appreciate what we're doing to try to protect everyone and obey all the things that are kind of out there. But nevertheless, you're here this morning and we continue to worship our God together. I want to say thank you to all those men who are making even today possible. It's taken a lot of extra effort. So thankful for a church, man. There were so many people who want to give in, chip in uh, to really help us declare his praises today, especially during this Christmas time. So, hey, I'm in my living room today and uh, man, just wanted to give you a message of hope and encouragement today from God's word. And uh, man, I've been thinking a little bit about Christmas and have you ever waited for a loved one to come home for Christmas? I mean, you've been separated, been waiting for them to get there. They say that they're going to come They make you some promises and you're super excited and you just can't wait. It's really hard to wait on those times because you want to see them, you want to be with them, and you just want to enjoy each other's presence again. And I totally understand that. And really, at Christmas time, we just want to celebrate being together again, right? Well, there's just something special about this time of year. And I've been thinking, and I've had a lot of time to do that lately, and I believe that the people of God knew that kind of longing. They knew that kind of waiting, and they were waiting for the promised Messiah to come home for Christmas. You see, the prophet Micah wrote 700 years before the birth of Jesus, and he promised a coming Messiah. He promised Jesus would be home for Christmas. And you know what? The people, however, would have to wait, and they waited for a really long time. It seemed like the arrival of this promised Messiah was too far away. God seemed very distant. It's almost as if God had forgotten His promise and His people. It seemed as if God was so distant from His people that He no longer cared for them. But then on that blessed day, the Messiah truly came home for Christmas. You see, sometimes... We feel like God and His promises are distant. We know that God will keep His promises, but we just don't know when we'll see them come true. It's a whole lot like waiting for Christmas. We pray for help and we know He's going to come through, but when? When, oh God, and how? And why do we have to wait? Can I remind you here this morning that There is hope and there is help with our great God because our text this morning is going to give us three truths to remember when God seems distant. So they're gathered in that place today. Would you stand with me as we read from Micah? Micah chapter 5 verses 1 through 5. A lot of us might not know where Micah is at and it's okay to go to the front of your Bible to look there in the index and to find out where Micah would be, right? Just go there and you look down and you say, okay, there's a few. Uh, let's say Jeremiah, Lamentations, Ezekiel, Daniel, Hosea, Joel, Amos, Obadiah, Jonah, Micah. There it is. It's just a few books up from the New Testament. But anyway, Micah chapter 5, verses 1 through 5. Let's read the Word of God. The Bible says, Now muster yourselves in troops, daughter of troops, 
they have laid siege against us. With a rod they will smite the judge of Israel on the cheek. But as for you, Bethlehem Ephrathah, too little to be among the clans of Judah. From you, one will go forth for me to be ruler in Israel. His goings forth are from long ago, from the days of eternity. Therefore, he will give them up until the time when she who is in labor has borne a child. Then the remainder of his brethren will return to the sons of Israel. And he will arise and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God. And they will remain because at that time he will be great to the ends of the earth. And this one will be our peace. Would you pray with me? God, today I pray that you just take your word and speak it over your people to make us look more like your son Jesus. In his name I pray, amen. You may be seated. Here's, do you hear in that, those verses about peace? Do you hear about this promised peace, this joy, this gift that's coming? You see, when God seems distant, here's the first thing today. Remember, he solves our biggest problems. When God seems distant, remember, he solves our biggest problems. Because in verse 1, it tells us, that they, there's people that have laid seeds against the people of Israel. You see, the people lived in Jerusalem, and they were under the attack, under attack by the Assyrians. Micah, however, is not going to give them a very encouraging message. God told them that the enemy was coming against them no matter how hard they fought because they were already defeated. Try as they might to put together the best defense, it wouldn't get them out of the trouble they were in. The text says that they would smite the judge of Israel. Well, that's none other than King Hezekiah. And all of Jerusalem was helpless. To smite on the cheek was a picture of someone who was so defenseless that they couldn't even raise their hands to defend themselves. That's not very good news. You see, the people of God were so helpless, they couldn't defend themselves. And as a result, they would even be carried away into exile. At this incredibly discouraging and scary time, we learn an incredible lesson. And here it is. They may have been helpless, but they were never hopeless. They were never help. I mean, they were, there were plenty of times when they were, they were helpless, but they were never hopeless. Why? Because in verse 2, look there. But as for you, Bethlehem, Ephrathah, in that little obscure town, just five miles away from Jerusalem, God had a future hope for His people. See, Jerusalem is surrounded and the king is being beaten with a rod. But the Bible says, but you, Bethlehem. God is telling us that there is hope in the helplessness because he knows our biggest problems. He's not forgotten us. Even though he seems distant, he's not. He cares and he can help. Let me tell you about 13-year-old Mary McLaughlin. She was walking someone's dog and she got lost. She didn't know what to do. She couldn't remember the address that she left from. She couldn't remember the streets that she had walked on. Then a woman who recognized the dog and knew the owners 
walked Mary back with the dog four blocks to the owner's home. You see, Mary has developmental topographical disorientation, DTD. This refers to a lifelong inability to orientate themselves in extremely familiar surroundings despite being brain damaged or having any type of disorder in any way. You see, Mary can get lost in the most familiar environments. She can even get lost in her own home. She often and most always has to rely on somebody else to get her back home. You see, just like the people of God in Micah's day, we've all lost our way and can't get home. We need someone who knows where home is to come and lead us back. Just like those in Micah's day, we are lost and separated from God because of our sin. And we're facing great judgment. And this, this is our biggest problem. But God knows our biggest problem. And at Christmas, God sends Jesus to solve our biggest problem and to bring us home. Think about it. Christmas began with a crisis. It began with our lostness, our sin, our certain judgment, our utter helplessness. It begins with our biggest problem, that we are sinners and we're separated from God and we're under His wrath, but God. Romans 5.8 tells us, but God demonstrates His love toward us and that while we're sinners, Christ died for us. You see, we are lost, but Jesus finds us. We are sinners but God loves us. We are defeated, and no matter what we do, we can't get out of it, but yet Jesus comes and rescues us. The same God who saves through Jesus when we're lost promises to meet our deepest needs and answer our biggest problems once we're saved when we really need Him. You see, the Bible says in Romans 8.32 that He who did not spare His own Son but delivered Him over for us all, how will He not also with Him freely give us all things? You see, we may be helpless, but we're never hopeless. When God seems distant, remember, God knows our biggest problems. He cares about you when you're hurting the most because God is faithful to save from sin. He is faithful to give us everything else we need in every other situation. You see, God knows about the problems going on in your marriage and He can bring healing. God knows about your wayward children and He can fill you with hope while you wait. God certainly knows about your finances and He can meet your needs. God knows when we're depressed and He can bring us joy. God knows about when I'm sick and when you're sick and He can supply us the grace we need. God knows when we're all stressed and He can supply peace and patience, but most of all, He can supply us with His presence. You see, God knows what's next and God always knows what's best. And when God seems distant, remember, God knows our biggest problems. Jesus came home for Christmas and can solve our biggest problems. And here's the second thing Micah teaches us today. When God seems distant, remember, He secures the best plans. When God seems distant, remember, He secures the best plans. Look there in verse 2. But it's for you, Bethlehem Ephrathah, too little to be among the clans of Judah. From you, one will go forth for me to be ruler in Israel. His going forth are from long ago, from the days of eternity. 
You see, Bethlehem was very small. It was obscure. It was so small that the Bible tells me here that it was not even listed among the clans. It was too little to be listed among the places in Judah. It was not even uh, able to be kind of considered a clan. A clan consisted of a thousand people. So Bethlehem had no more than a thousand people living in it. And the text mentions two places there, Bethlehem and Ephrathah. Bethlehem literally means house of bread. Ephrathah is the district, and it means fruitful. Both of them probably refer to the fields of grain that kind of surrounded them. As we see in the Old Testament, Ephrathah was where Jacob buried Rachel when she died giving birth to Benjamin. It was the home place of Naomi and her kinsman Boaz. Boaz was the husband of Ruth. Boaz and Ruth were the grandparents of Jesse. Jesse was the father of David, and they lived in Bethlehem. And from Bethlehem, David came, and he was king, and he was the king by which every other king was measured. This little town of Bethlehem reminds us that God often uses small unlikely places and people to accomplish his plans. That's why I'm fired up about LaGrange. God can use First Baptist Church and little bitty LaGrange to do great and amazing things. But the text says from Bethlehem, a ruler is coming. Notice it says one will go forth. This one is to go forth, but how is he to go forth, or whom is he to go forth for? The Bible says he's to go forth for me. Now, there's special emphasis in the original text here that, that means that this is the one and only one he could go forth for would be for God. According to God's purposes and plans, this one would come. It says he would be a ruler. Now, by the time that Micah is writing, rulers were born in Jerusalem. In other words, that's where kings were born. But God promised, just as David was from Bethlehem, so another would come from there. And the text says that this one would be from long ago, from days of old, from ancient of days, from really from eternity. So this tells us then that this is not just any king or ruler that's coming. This one is one who's come from eternity, and there's only one that can fit that description. That's the promised Messiah, the Son of God, Jesus. You see, Bethlehem was small, but God chose it to bring salvation to the world. I pray that God will bring revival to the world from the Grange. But the point is this. Listen, God always secures the best plans, and nothing, nothing can stop God's plans. Listen, they waited a long time for the Messiah, but time can't stop God's plans. Israel was hated by the Assyrians, but, but human sinfulness and rebellion can't stop God's plans. Bethlehem was small and obscure, but weakness and insignificance can't stop God's plans. You see, God always secures the best plans. There are over 300 prophecies in the Old Testament about the Messiah. And they're all filled in Jesus Christ. You see, only Jesus of Nazareth, born in Bethlehem, could be the Messiah because God secured that plan. You know, I take out my cell phone here, not to distract you, but by way of illustration. Did you know that there are over 7 billion cell phones in the world? That's crazy. I mean, so how does one of my children 
really dial a number than that reaches me. This is phenomenal to me. Well, I mean, I guess it's not rocket science, but, but we kind of narrow it down. They're just 10 digits, and if they push those digits in the correct order, they may get me. <laughs> Well, let's see, if my children were to dial in here and, and using, they were to put in 979, well, that gets them into Fayette, right? And, and from all the people in the world, we go from billions to several thousands, and then they'll put in 702, and that narrows it down now from really a lot of uh, people down to a more select few. But then when they put in 8133, man, that takes it right down to me. That last three, when they push it and push send, man, I tell you what's going to happen. They're going to get me. You see, with each digit, they go from a lot of people and they begin to narrow it down to exactly one. That would be me. Now, here's what I think. Prophecy kind of works just like that. Who could be this one? I mean, there's only one. This is the one. There's no other one but this one. How could it be? Well, prophecy is like that about Jesus, like it is with our, with our phone. So let's just kind of pick up the Old Testament. Let's dial in some numbers, and let's see if we can't find that this really is Jesus. You see, God's plan was that the Messiah would come from the human race. I mean, there's billions of possibilities. There was even angels and animals. But God said no, that, that it would come from the human race because Genesis 3.15 tells us, God's speaking here, and I will make enemies of you, he's speaking to the serpent, and the woman, and of your offspring, the woman, and her descendant, he shall bruise you on the head and you shall bruise him on the heel. So this offspring, this, this one, is going to be of a human, not of an angel or an animal. So we're beginning to narrow this down. God's plan was also that the Messiah would come from one ancestor, from Abraham. Speaking to Abraham, God said in Genesis 12, 2 and 3, he says, And I will make you, Abraham, into a great nation. And I will bless you and make your name great, and you shall be a blessing. And I will bless those who bless you, and the one who curses you I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth will be blessed. So now we begin to narrow down a little more. Human race, and now one and nation, uh, ancestor. Then God says the plan that the Messiah would come from just one simple nation. It would be Israel. Abraham, as you know, would have Isaac. And Isaac begets Jacob and Esau, but it's only from Jacob that the Messiah comes. In Numbers 24, verse 17, the Bible says, I see him, but not now. I look at him, but not near. A star shall appear from Jacob. A scepter shall rise from Israel and shall smash the forehead of Moab and overcome all the sons of Sheth. You see, the Bible narrows this thing down to tell us that it's going to come from Israel. God's plan also was that the Messiah would come from not only one ancestor and one nation, but one tribe, the tribe of Judah. You see, God changed Jacob's name to Israel, and Israel had 12 sons, but only one of those would be the tribe from which the Messiah would come, and that would be the tribe of Judah. Genesis 49.10 tells us the scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from between his feet until Shiloh comes, and to him shall be the obedience 
of the peoples. We begin to narrow down because God's plan that the Messiah would not only come from just one tribe, but also one family, the family of Jesse. Isaiah 11, 1 says, Then a shoot will spring forth from the stem of Jesse, and a branch from his roots will bear fruit. God's plan begins to get even more narrow when we realize that it's not just from this one idea of being from David, but it's the Messiah would come from one household. And whose household would it be? Well, it would happen to be David's household. You see, Jesse had eight sons. But only one out of those was chosen, and that was David. Of, of this household, 2 Samuel 7, 16 says, Your house and your kingdom shall endure before me forever. Your throne, David, shall be established forever. God's plan begins to get even more crystal clear. He's beginning to push the few final digits that the Messiah would come through the household but to one woman, and one woman in particular, this would be a virgin who would have a child. Isaiah 7, 14 says, Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and she will name him Emmanuel. This is so interesting to me that we begin to maybe push the last digit. And, and here we go, because God's plan that was for the Messiah to come would be from also not just one family, one tribe, one nation, one idea of humanity, but it would come down to identify not just one virgin, but in one particular place, and that was Bethlehem. Back to our text. But for you, Bethlehem, would come this one. That's just eight prophecies. And Jesus fulfilled over 300 Old Testament prophecies. You see, when God seems distant, remember, God secures the best plans and nothing can stop God's plans. I mean, He worked through history and He's worked through the centuries and He'll work His plans for you. There were times when things seemed hopeless as they were waiting. There were times when it seemed like God had forgotten and wouldn't come through. Can I just tell you today that He's not forgotten you. He's going to come through. Nothing can stop God's plans. He's not forgotten and He's not distant. According to His plans and according to His timing, God executed His plan. Because Galatians 4.4 4 says, But when the fullness of time came, God sent His Son, born of a woman. Nothing can stop God's plans. He's an on-time God. He may not come when you want Him to, but He's always going to be there right on time because nothing can stop the plans that God secures, and they're the best plans. Jesus came home for Christmas according to God's plan. Well, thanks, Micah. Do you have anything else for us? Well, He does. He has one more thing, and that's this. When God seems distant, remember, He sends the blessings of peace. When God seems distant, He sends the blessings of peace. Verses 4 and 5 says, And He will arise and shepherd His flock in the strength of the Lord and the majesty of the name of the Lord His God, and they will remain, because at that time He will be great to the ends of the earth. This one will be our peace. The text says, and He will arise. Jesus never runs away when it's hard or even when you want to run away from Him. The Bible says that He will shepherd His flock. You see, a shepherd provides leadership, protection, food, water. 
You see, Jesus always provides. He sends the blessings of peace. He will do this in strength, the Bible says, and majesty. Jesus does this because of his greatness and because of his all power having part of him. As a result, they will remain and dwell secure, and He will be our peace. I want to just share something with you. You see, it's, it's a false kind of idea to think that, hey, if you'll do this for me, or if this happens, or if maybe that happens, then I'll have peace. That, that's really false thinking. Why? Because peace is not based on a circumstance. Peace is not anything out there. It's not a thing because peace is a person. It says there, and he will be our peace. Peace is a person. And that person's name is Jesus. He's the Prince of Peace. Romans 5.1 tells me, Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God. Through our Lord Jesus Christ. In Jesus, we have peace. We have peace with God, and we have the peace of God. Isn't that what Christmas really was about? That God would send His blessing of peace? In Luke 2.14, the Bible says, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among the people with whom He is pleased. You see, Jesus came home for Christmas, lived, died, and rose so that we can have peace with God and we can have the peace of God because He is the peace of God and with God. I remember reading a story about a place in London that there's a hospital there. It's the hospital of St. Mary of Bethlehem. It's the oldest institution for the care of the mentally ill in England. It's been there since 1247. At first, people called it by its full name, St. Mary of Bethlehem, but then it was shortened to just be called Bethlehem. Then finally, it was kind of shortened from Bethlehem. People began to call it Bethlehem, and then from there, it changed from Bethlehem to Bedlam. When it began to be called Bedlam, People would go there for sure, just entertainment to watch the disturbed, mentally ill people. They thought that was entertaining. They'd say, hey, what do you want to do tonight? Well, let's go to Bedlam and have some fun watching those people. Therefore, Bedlam became the symbol, and it still is today, the symbol for chaos, confusion, and uproar. You see, Bethlehem turned into Bedlam. And here's what I want you to know. Your life is either a Bethlehem or a Bedlam. It's one of the two. You see, without Jesus, our lives are Bedlam. There's no peace. But with Jesus, they're Bethlehems because He is our peace. Do you want that kind of peace today? Do you want to know that you can have peace with God? Do you want to have the peace of God that transcends all understanding? Beloved, it can be yours today. In just a few moments, I'm going to give you an opportunity to receive that peace. But see, when God seems distant, remember, Jesus came, and through, through the centuries, He was promised, but one night in Bethlehem, He came home for Christmas, and He is our Emmanuel, God with 
us. He went from Bethlehem to Jerusalem, died on a cross to take away our sin. He rose to give us life, and through His Holy Spirit, He wants to make your heart His home for Christmas. You see, when God seems distant, remember, He can solve our biggest problems. He secures the best plans, and He sends the blessings of peace. At this time, I'd love it if Matt and others would come back up on the stage because we're going to move into our time of invitation. I remember reading another story this past week that talked about a little boy. And this little boy uh, had uh, been looking at a picture of his father that he had upon the kitchen table. You see, the father had left the little boy when he was just an infant to go away for a very, very long war. And after several years, the boy just actually had forgotten who his daddy was like because he left him when he was an infant. He really didn't have much memory or recognition of him. But one day as he was sitting at that table looking at that picture, he said, if my father could only step out of that picture and be real. Beloved, I know it may seem in your life that God is distant. And sometimes it may seem that God has kind of left us all alone. But can I tell you, Jesus came home for Christmas. And can I tell you something else? He's coming back and he's going to take us home to be with him. He stepped out of eternity and he stepped into time. He is God with us, Emmanuel. And he, through his Holy Spirit, has left us the great encourager the great comforter. He's not left us alone. And He's left us the body of Christ, our brothers and sisters. We are not alone. We have each other. Jesus cares about your problems. He has great plans for you. And He offers you peace this Christmas. So this morning, if you need prayer, if you need somebody to talk with, if you need the peace of Jesus, if you need to know today that your sins are forgiven and that you could, could, if you were to die today, that you could be with God in heaven forever, if you want to know that today, I'm going to say a prayer. And after I say that prayer, I'm going to have some deacons that are going to be down at the front waiting on you. There are going to be some people there that you can talk to, that you can pray with, and that you can receive what you need today. Oh, beloved, how I pray that the Lord Jesus would speak to your heart, that He's been speaking to your heart, that even in these moments, He would make Himself known to you and you experience what it is for Jesus to come home in your heart for Christmas. So would you pray with me? Lord Jesus, I thank You that You did indeed come home. You came to Bethlehem to be our peace. And you've not left us alone. And I pray even now through the power of your Holy Spirit that if there's any in the audience today or within the sound of my voice that doesn't know you, that today will be the day of their salvation. How I pray, God, that in the midst of all this unrest, the lack of peace going on in our world, in our communities, in our homes, that Jesus, you would come and establish your presence. But today, speak. And we pray it in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Would you come? And would you pray with these who are waiting for you?